Part eleven of Ultima Fool. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Ultima Fool by Mac Reynolds. Part eleven. Ronnie Bronston had got to the point where he avoided controversial subjects with Tog, even when provoked, and she had a sneaky little way of provoking arguments. They had only one really knock-down and drag-out verbal battle on the way to Kropotkin. It had started innocently enough after dinner on the space-liner on which they had taken passage for the first part of the trip. To kill time they were playing battle-chess, with its larger board and added contingents of pawns and castles. Ronnie said idly, "'You know, in spite of the fact that I am a third-generation United Planet citizen and employee, I am just beginning to realize how far out some of our member planets are. I had no idea before.' She frowned in concentration, before moving. She was advancing her men in echelon attack, taking losses in exchange for territory, and trying to pen him up in such small space that he couldn't maneuver. She said, "'How do you mean?' Ronnie lifted and dropped a shoulder. "'Well, New Delos and its theocracy, for instance, and Shangri-La and Mother, and some of the other planets with extremes in government of socio-economic system. I hadn't the vaguest idea about such places.' She made a deprecating sound. "'You should see Amazonia.' or, for that matter, the Orwellian state. "'Amazonia,' he said. "'Does that mean what it sounds like it does?' She made her move and settled back in satisfaction. Her pawns were in such a position that his bishops were both unusable. He'd tried to play a phalanx game in the early stages of her attack, but she'd broken through, rolling up his left flank after sacrificing a castle and a knight. "'Certainly does,' she said. "'A fairly recently colonized planet.' A few thousand feminists, no men at all, moved on to it a few centuries ago, and it's still an out-and-out -out matriarchy." Ronnie cleared his throat delicately. "'Without men, uh, how did they continue several centuries?' Tog suppressed her amusement. "'Artificial insemination at first, so I understand. They brought their, um, supply with them. But then there were boys among the first generation on the new planet, and even the Amazonians weren't up to cold-bloodedly butchering their children so they merely enslaved them. Nice girls." Ronnie stared at her. "'You mean all men are automatically slaves on this planet?' "'That's right.' Ronnie made an improperly thought-out move, trying to bring up a castle to reinforce his collapsing flank. He said, "'U.P. allows anybody to join, evidently,' and there was disgust in his voice. "'Why not?' she said mildly. "'Well, there should be some standards.' Tog moved quickly, dominating with a knight several squares he couldn't afford to lose. She looked up at him, her dark eyes sparkling. "'The point of U.P. is to include all the planets. That way at least conflict can be avoided, and some exchange of science, industrial techniques, and cultural gains take place. And you must remember that while in power, practically no socio-economic system will admit to the fact that it could possibly change for the better. But actually there is nothing less stable. Socioeconomic systems are always in a condition of flux. Planets such as Amazonia might for a time seem so brutal in their methods as to exclude their right to civilized intercourse with the rest. However, one of these days there'll be a change, or one of these centuries. They all change sooner or later," she added softly. Even Han. Han? Ronnie said. Her voice was quiet. Where I was born, Ronnie. Colonized from China in the very early days. In fact, I spent my childhood in a commune," she said musingly. The party bureaucrats thought their system an impregnable, unchangeable one. Your move. Ronnie was fascinated. And what happened? He was in full retreat now, with nowhere to go, his pieces pinned up for the slaughter. He moved a pawn to try and open up his queen. 
"'Why don't you concede?' she said. "'Tommy Paine happened.' "'Paine?' "'Uh-huh. It's a long story. I'll tell you about it sometime.' She pressed closer with her own queen. He stared disgustedly at the board. "'Well, that's what I mean,' he muttered. "'I had no idea there were so many varieties of crackpot politico-economic systems among the U.P. membership.' "'They're not necessarily crackpot,' she protested mildly, "'just at different stages of development.' "'Not crackpot!' he said. "'Here we are, heading for a planet named Kropotkin, which evidently practices anarchy.' "'Your move,' she said. "'What's wrong with anarchism?' He glowered at her in outraged disgust. Was it absolutely impossible for him to say anything without her disagreement? Tog said mildly, "'The anarchistic ethic is one of the highest man has ever developed.' she added, after a moment of pretty consideration. Unfortunately, admittedly, it hasn't been practical to put to practice. It will be interesting to see how they have done on Kropotkin." "'Anarchistic ethic, yes,' Ronnie snapped. "'I'm no student of the movement, but the way I understand it, there isn't any.' Tog smiled sweetly. "'The belief upon which they base their teachings is that no man is capable of judging another.' Ronnie cast his eyes ceilingward. "'Okay, I give up.' She began rapidly resetting the pieces. "'Another game?' she said brightly. "'Hey, I didn't mean the game. I was just about to counterattack.' "'Ha!' she said. The Section G agent on Kropotkin was named Hidika Yamamoto, but he was on a field tour and wouldn't be back for several days. However, there wasn't especially any great hurry so far as Ronnie Bronston and Tog Lee Chang Chu knew. They got themselves organized in the rather rustic equivalent of a hotel, which was located fairly near U.P. headquarters, and took up the usual problems of arranging for local exchange, meals, means of transportation, and such necessities. It was a greater problem than usual. In fact, hadn't it been for the presence of the U.P. organization, which had already gone through all this the hard way, some of the difficulties would have been all but insurmountable. For instance, there was no local exchange. There was no medium of exchange at all. Evidently, simple barter was the rule. In the hotel—if it could be called a hotel—lobby, Ronnie Bronston looked at Tog. "'Anarchism,' he said. "'Oh, great! The highest ethic of all. And what's the means of transportation on this wonderful planet?' "'The horse. And how are we going to get a couple of horses with no means of exchange?' She tingled with laughter. "'All right,' he said. "'You're the man Friday. You find out the details and handle them. I'm going out to take a look around the town—if you can call this a town.' "'It's the capital of Kropotkin,' Tog said placatingly, though with a mocking background in her tone. "'Name of Bankunin. And very pleasant, too, from what little I've seen. Not a bit of smog, industrial fumes, street dirt, street noises.' "'How could there be?' he injected disgustedly. "'There isn't any industry, there aren't any cars, and for all practical purposes, no streets. The houses are a quarter of a mile or so apart.' She laughed at him again. "'City boy,' she said. Go on out there and enjoy nature a little. It'll do you good. Anybody who has cooped himself up in that one big city earth all his life ought to enjoy seeing what the great outdoors looks like." He looked at her and grinned. She was cute as a pixie, and there was no two ways about that. He wondered for a moment what kind of a wife she'd make, and then shuddered inwardly. Life would be one big contradiction of anything he'd managed to get out of his trap. He strolled idly along what was little more than a country path, and it came to him that there were probably few worlds in the whole U.P. where he'd have been prone to do this within the first few hours he'd been on the planet. He would have been afraid elsewhere of anything from footpads to police, from unknown vehicles to unknown traffic laws. There was something bewildering about being an earthling and being set down suddenly in New Delos or on Avalon. 
Here, somehow, he already had a feeling of peace. Evidently, although Bankunin was supposedly a city, its populace tilled their fields and provided themselves with their own food. He could see no signs of stores or warehouses. And the U.P. building, which was no great edifice itself, was the only thing in town which looked even remotely like a governmental building. Bankunin was neat, clean as a pin, as the expression went. Ronnie was vaguely reminded of a historical Tri-D romance he'd once seen. It had been laid in ancient times in a community of the Amish in old Pennsylvania. He approached one of the wooden houses. The things would have been priceless on earth as an antique to be erected as a museum in some crowded park. For that matter, it would have been priceless for the wood it contained. Evidently the planet Kropotkin still had considerable virgin forest. An old-timer smoking a pipe sat on the cottage's front step. He nodded politely. Ronnie stopped. He might as well try to get a little of the feel of the place. He said courteously, "'A pleasant evening.' The old-timer nodded. "'As evenings should be after a fruitful day's toil. Sit down, comrade. You must be from the United Planets. Have you ever seen Earth?' Ronnie accepted the invitation and felt a soothing calm descend upon him almost immediately—an almost disturbingly pleasant calm. He said, "'I was born on Earth.' "'Aye,' the old man said. "'Tell me. The books say that Kropotkin is an Earth-type planet within what they call a few degrees. But is it? Is Kropotkin truly like the mother planet?' Ronnie looked about him. He'd seen some of this world as the shuttle rocket had brought them down from the passing liner. The forests, the lakes, the rivers, and the great sections untouched by man's hands. Now he saw the areas between homes, the neat fields, the signs of human toil, the toil of hands, not machines. No, he said, shaking his head, I'm afraid not. This is how Earth must once have been, but no longer. The other nodded. Our total population is but a few million, he said. Then, I would like to see the mother planet but I suppose I never shall." Ronnie said diplomatically, "'I have seen little of Kropotkin thus far, but I am not so sure that I might not be happy to stay here, rather than ever return to earth.' The old man knocked the ashes from his pipe by striking it against the heel of a work-gnarled hand. He looked about him thoughtfully and said, "'Yes, perhaps you're right. I am an old man, and life has been good. I suppose I should be glad that I'll unlikely live to see Kropotkin change.' Change? You plan changes? End of part 11